But now back to those ignobles and Mark Abrahams of Harvard from where he makes us laugh and then think. Mark Abrahams, still following ignoble, very pleased to see off and on there's another Australian winner. I don't know whether you remember Dr. Carl way back. He won the prize for finding out whether belly button fluff is nutritious. Do you remember that one? Yes, he seems to have a fascination with that whole topic. Well, there is a food shortage in some places, but without being supercilious, on the back page of New Scientist magazine, you have a regular page, in fact, not just a column, and you do that every week. How do you manage to find the material? It finds me. I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. In addition to putting out my own magazine, Annals of Improbable Research, every two months and all the other stuff, it's really fun. I have been doing all this for almost 35 years now. And at the beginning, I was collecting things, but pretty quickly, people started noticing and sending things. And so, for the, I think it's 34 years, Every day, that's, I think, not an exaggeration. Every day, I get little trickles or often floods of suggestions from people in all kinds of places, many places I've never heard of, about things they notice that most of them have to do with science, and all of them have the quality that they make somebody or lots of people start laughing immediately and also kind of stick in those people's heads so that people want to find out more and they want to tell their friends about it. And I have had heaps and heaps of this stuff accumulating far more than I've had room to use. And this happy thing came about a year and a half ago, the magazine New Scientist that I've been subscribing to happily for a long time has a back page column and the person who used to run it had died and uh, they asked me to take it over. The person who used to do it was a good friend and colleague too so this is a sort of sacred duty to me but it's a great pleasure so every day new stuff comes in and I look through the piles of old stuff and I try to narrow it way down almost at random to pick four or five little items odd things to write about a few paragraphs and stick them together and that's what the column is. Indeed I was looking at the New Scientist magazine a few weeks ago and I saw a story I thought I bet Mark is going to pick this up and it was about female frogs who have learnt to play being dead so that the male frogs <laughs> the male frogs <laughs> leave them alone and don't try to mate that's called a freudian slip isn't it what you just did <laughs> flog yeah <laughs> it could well be <laughs> but did you use that story i don't think so if something is already appeared somewhere else in the magazine. I'm not going to write about it unless I see something that nobody else had But noticed. I thought it was worth an Ig Nobel Prize. Oh, there are so many things that are worth Ig Nobel Prizes. Every year we get something like 10,000 new nominations people send in for Ig Nobel Prizes. And, and we, the people who win, who are selected, you still ask them to pay their own fare to go to Harvard and they still have this celebration which involves opera, which involves the throwing of paper planes. Mm -hmm. Do the real, shall I say, 
Nobel Prize winners still sing opera for you? They never sang opera. I've been writing these little operas, actually writing just the stories and the words, steal the music from dead composers, writing these little operas every year for now about 25 or so years that are part of the Ig Nobel ceremony. They're performed by opera singers and trained musicians and always write some parts in there for some of the famous scientists who are helping to hand out the prizes. They're right there on stage, so we ought to give them something to do that they don't normally get a chance to do. And most of them are not trained singers. <laughs> so for them, the parts are not singing parts, they're acting parts which we don't tell them about until they're on stage. And we have a bunch of people who are there to assist them, who are other characters in the actor, who are just moving them around to the right places. Scientists like fun. It's a nice revelation, isn't it? Because we mostly assume they're very serious in dark rooms, playing with strange symbols and talking incomprehensible things when you ask them to explain what's going on. But here at the AAAS in Denver, Colorado, you're going to reenact something from last year's awards. Could you give me a bit of a flavor? For instance, the, the Literature Prize, what was that? Yeah, we gave out 10 prizes last year, as usual. The Ig Nobel Prize for Literature went to an international team that looked at what happens when you repeat the same word over and over and over and over and over. If and over? and then some. Most people, I think, have experienced this. One way is if you pick a word, any word, and it can be a common word like the, and write it down and keep writing it over and over, the, 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 and maybe say it out loud. And after about 30 or 40 times, it might suddenly lose its meaning. You're making this sound you've been making all your life, but it's suddenly confusing because it doesn't mean anything to you at that moment. That's what they studied, and we gave them an Ig Nobel Prize for it. And what we're going to do at the end of the show we're doing here at the AAAS meeting in Denver is at the very end of it, we will ask everybody who's in the room, all the hundreds of people in the audience and all the people who are speaking, to together repeat the word the, 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 the. Enough! Yeah. Enough! <laughs> Phew! Take me to biology, yeah. or whatever you choose. Okay, this was the physics prize, which we could have classified this as biology, but we chose to call this the physics prize. Went to a large team based in Spain who discovered that anchovies, which are little fish... Like sardines. Very like sardines. They swim in large numbers, millions or sometimes I think even billions of them together, that from time to time, many of them will have at the same moment a sexual frenzy. And the activity of them moving their bodies, <laughs> these millions or billions of little tiny fish at the same moment in the same place, causes the ocean waters to mix waters from deep on to rise up and from high up to go down and causes this mixing of ocean waters in a way nobody had ever even guessed at. So that won an Ig Nobel Prize. Give me one more. There was a team of doctors who won the Ig Nobel Medicine Prize because 
they carefully counted and compared the number of hairs in the two nostrils of a series of cadavers to see whether there were the same number of hairs in the left nostril and the right nostril. And there was a point, was there? There was a purpose in their doing it. They're dermatologists, they study skin. They had a patient who had a form of alopecia, which the symptom of that is that you have no hair on part of your body or all of your body. And they had a patient who had, they noticed there were no nose hairs. And they were wondering, is this something that's in some way risky? Because those nose hairs probably do something medically. And they started to look through the medical records and the textbooks for, you know, what do these nose hairs do for all of us people? And is it a sign of something bad, bad health, if there are no nose hairs? And they discovered there's nothing. They found almost absolutely nothing about the medical role of nose hairs. Nothing anywhere in the world, ever. And so they started looking into it. And one of the first basic things they wanted to figure out is what is the number of nose hairs in a healthy person, typically? They had no idea. And how do you do this? If you're going to stop people on the street, this is going to lead to something that's very complicated. So they, students, get students. Yeah, well, you could try it with students. But they had uh, some cadavers, people who had donated their bodies to science to be used um, to answer unusual questions after they died. And this is how some of them were used, in part. Fascinating stuff, isn't it? What does it tell you about scientists and senses of humour in ways? Because I know that if you catch them in private, they're wonderful fun, as varied as any human lot, probably slightly better than lawyers and economists, I don't know. Do you find that? Yeah, there's a, a, let's call it a great secret, and let's call it a conspiracy that schools around the world seem to have been doing for generations now of hiding the stark fact that scientists are human beings and almost all of them have a pretty good sense of humor as most people do it's not this you know any two people might not have the same sense of humor but they all have pretty deep senses of humor yeah and scientists in many places are brought up to disguise that it's considered not dignified for some reason. That's why the picture of Einstein on his bike with a great big grin on his face is so popular. This is quite unusual, people think. Yeah, people do think that. But, you know, it's hard to know what's in somebody else's mind. It's hard to know what's in your own mind, of course, Mm. sometimes. But scientists generally joke around a lot and had any number of them talk about that endlessly, about how science, if that's what you do for a job, is really frustrating. You're going to be trying to figure out things nobody else has ever, ever managed to figure out, to understand. And you're going to try anything you can think of, and most of the time, you know in advance, most of the things you try are going to fail. If you get lucky once in a while, you'll succeed, and you've suddenly understood something nobody else managed to. But there's going to be a whole lot of frustrating hard work and failure before that. And again, I've heard any number of scientists talk endlessly about how if you know that your job is mostly failure, 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 with rare success, it really helps to have a sense of humor. And that's why I look forward to the end of September, beginning of October for the IGS. Thank you very much. Thank you. And a reminder to everybody listening, if you know of somebody who you think should get an Ig Nobel Prize, they've done something that probably will make 
anybody anywhere in the world immediately laugh and then think about it, let us know. Just go on our website, improbable.com, get in touch with us, just send an email. That's how we find out about most of the people who win Ig Nobel Prizes. One person somewhere notices them and tells us. An invitation from Mark Abrahams, and yes, he led a packed house celebration of opera, the Ig Nobles at the AAAS meeting in Denver, Colorado. And he had an Australian flavour with three members of the audience dressed as bananas, making sure the speeches stayed very short. That's B1, B2 and B3, perhaps. And even a mention of the Ig Opera, of which this is a flavour. Psychologists have shown that people unskilled at something somehow do not know their own incompetence. No incompetence. <laughs> Yes, incompetence. But one piece of news that did not amuse was the 8% cut in staff at JPL, the Jet Propulsion Lab, linked to the Mars Material Recovery Project, blocked in Congress. So 8% of the staff sacked. Next on The Science Show, Tom Cech, real Nobel Prize winner on RNA and something about cosmos. We live in hope. The Science Show is produced by David Fisher. And thanks to Leo at QUT for AI Me. I'm Robin Williams, I think. The dawning Kruger,